Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. How Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. This week's edition is presented by Underdog Fantasy, the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. Play Best Ball Mania like we did. It's a fun way to draft, no maintenance during the season, and there's $10 million in prize money. Download the Underdog Fantasy app today. Enter the promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, and Underdog will match up to $100 on your first deposit. We've got a great guest lined up today, someone I've wanted to get on the show for years, really a legend in the agent industry, Sandy Montag, CEO of the Montag Group. His agency reps 200 of the top sportscasters in the world, including the late John Madden, Jim Nance, Bob Costas, Scott Van Pelt, Mike Tirico, and Mary Carrillo. Sandy's got some great stories about how he met John Madden. As a student out of Syracuse University, they took train rides across the U.S. and bonded, and thus Montag became Madden's first agent. And I mean, it wasn't just broadcasting. It was the Madden video game. John Madden was right up there with Michael Jordan and Q-Score when it came to being uh, a wonderful pitch person for products. Um, the Madden doc at the end of Madden's life, All Madden, mm-hmm. produced by our friend Tom Rinaldi on Fox Sports. And then if you're a student and you're looking to break into the industry, I can't think of a better person to give advice than Sandy Montag. So he gives advice. And then the Montag group was acquired by Wasserman. We'll talk about that and what that means and how athletes are really thinking about post-career during their career more than ever. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Uh, And they want to get into broadcasting. So Wasserman's acquisition of the Montag group really helps the roster of athletes that Wasserman has move into that next career after they're done playing into broadcasting. So Sandy Montag coming up on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. And yeah, Sandy is uh, fascinating. Some great stories. I love his Madden stories. And, you know, I kind of relate to him too, because he started out wanting to be a broadcaster and that was kind of his love and passion, which is what I've been doing. So uh, tie in with that. And man, his roster is crazy. You listed off all those names it has on his uh, company roster. That's pretty impressive. And he got to learn from some great people. So Mark McCormick was really kind of the, the godfather of sports agents. He started IMG with Arnold Palmer. And 
Um, you know, Sandy got to learn from Mark McCormick, and he'll talk about that. And he had some other great mentors. So tell you, I've had some great mentors in my career. And when you can have great mentors and people who are at the top of the industry that you can learn from, it's it's really powerful. So I think people will like Sandy's stories today. He doesn't do many interviews. So uh, it was pretty cool that we got him to sit down with us. All right, let's look at some sports business headlines of the week. Rory McIlroy, what a year on the golf course. He comes from six shots back this past Sunday to win his third FedEx Cup title. And in the sports business realm, what does that mean? It means he earned $26.7 million on course this season. That's a record all time for a PGA golfer in a single season. More than Tiger, more than Phil, more than anyone has ever made on course. And, you know, one of the things I thought of, and and Rory kind of alluded to it, Griggs, is if you were playing on the Live Tour, you only have, uh, what, 58 holes, 52 holes? My math is bad. Um, you know, you've got 72 holes. Rory had so many comeback wins this year, including this one where he was six shots back. You need all the holes you can get. And, you know, the fact that the PGA tour plays 18 holes of golf and has four rounds allowed Rory to, to win this FedEx cup title. For sure. And he was just impressive on Sunday. I mean, it's just, it's so fun when you get a guy that you can just watch and you can tell he's in the zone and you just feel that comeback coming on. And man, he just was uh, hitting the shots he needed to hit. And I thought one of the coolest things was after he won, he went to Scotty Scheffler's family and like congratulated them. And I'm like, that yeah. is so class. He's the classiest guy out there. I love that. Yeah. And it's neat to see what he and Tiger are doing with their new media company. And, you know, they're doing it with the support of the PGA Tour. You can tell you know, the PGA Tour appreciates what Tiger and Rory have done to be vocal in their support about the PGA Tour. So they're doing some partnerships with Tiger and Rory's media company. Not that you wouldn't do that anyways, but I'm sure they had some extra leverage by sticking their neck out in support of the PGA Tour. Uh, Cam Smith did, in fact, join the Live Tour. Uh, Harold Varner III has also joined. So there were some new people who signed up for the live tour this week. So it continues to be a battle between the PGA tour and live golf. We'll see how that all turns out, but what a year on the course for Rory McIlroy. All right. We told you last week that one of the faces of major league baseball, uh, Fernando Tatis jr. Was suspended for violating major league baseball's joint drug prevention and treatment program. And it was 80 games. And now Adidas has dropped him. So, you know, Griggs, when you have things like this happen, whatever the controversy may be, uh, you start losing sponsors. We've seen it with lots of athletes over the years, and Tatis is no different, but he lost Adidas this week. And they said, we have a clear policy on doping and can confirm that our partnership with Fernando Tatis Jr. will not continue. So uh, probably the first of several sponsorships. He's with Gatorade and other companies as well. And we'll see if he loses those as well. But, you know, this kid's 23 years old. He has a $340 million contract and he has the world in front of him. When you make mistakes like this, it's it's really costly. Yeah. And like you said, I think some of these endorsements, I mean, they can outlive your career. So I think uh, those can sometimes hurt even worse because, <laughs> you know, Adidas could be with him till he's 70. You never know just because if he's a good spokesperson and, you know, big enough. They'll stick with them for a long time. We see that with Tiger and other athletes where they last a lot longer than their career. So I think uh, that's where it really hurts these guys is when the endorsements start dropping. And Adidas is a big one. All right. 
More news from baseball. The Major League Baseball Players Association took an initial step towards unionizing the minor leagues on Sunday night. They sent out authorization cards that will allow minor league players to vote for an election that could make the MLBPA members minor league players as well. So, you know, are we going to see more money for minor league players? Are they going to have more rights? This is going to be a big story. Um, There was a year-long settlement with minor league players a little bit ago, $185 million. But Griggs, you know, these minor league players don't make very much money. Um, They have better rights than they did maybe five years ago. But, you know, the major league baseball players are really trying to support the minor league baseball players to get them better money and working conditions. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think it also helps the the sport. I think you get younger, you get younger players involved, you get newer players involved. I think it helps grow the sport. So I mean, I, I'm all for it. I think they they do need more rights. It helps develop these teams and bring uh, some of these players up to the majors. And it just gets uh, household names earlier. You know, you get to learn these minor league players before uh, they become majors. And I think it's just going to help uh, baseball and all. Yeah, so we'll keep our eye on that story. How about Serena Williams? Have you been watching her at the U.S. Open? As we record this, she won her first round match, 29,000 people showed up for her match, which is a record at the U.S. Open. It was jam-packed. I mean, there were celebrities galore in New York. And I loved how Serena and her daughter had matching outfits from Nike. And you can just tell, like, this is going to be a special U.S. Open. There's a special hashtag, uh, hashtag Serena Williams or hashtag Serena that Twitter has created that has, like, a goat wearing a a skirt, I think, for tennis, Um, but it looks great. There's a lot of to-do around Serena's last U.S. Open, as there should be. She is the greatest women's tennis player of all time and has meant so much to the sport. And, you know, you look at some of the pictures of her as a youngster and now her daughter as a youngster, and it's, it's crazy how the time flies because I remember when Serena was just starting out. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie King Richard, it is fantastic. And I would highly recommend it. It's about the Williams family. Um, You can see it on HBO and a lot of other places. But uh, great movie. I'm excited to watch Serena in the U.S. Open. It would be just such a fitting ending if she was able to somehow grind out a U.S. Open win and get another major title under her belt. But we'll see. Uh, It's going to be an uphill battle. And you know, as we always say, father and mother time, they catch up with everyone. And, and you know, they seemingly have caught up with her as well. But uh, maybe she can uh, reach down deep one last time and uh, win another one. Yeah, she is just, uh, she's so fun to watch. I mean, she is, even in her last U.S. Open, is such a competitor. I mean, when she goes out in that court and it's just like, it is game on. You can tell she's working as hard as she can. She's playing as hard as she can. And she's just incredible to watch. She's so powerful. Her swings and her hits are just, uh, she's just, you have to watch if she's playing. So I love it. I love the mother-daughter tie-in, like you mentioned, and King Richard, definitely a must-see. Great story, and she is still killing it. I love watching her play. All right, Griggs, before we get to the Sandy Montag interview, I am headed to Europe. I am going to start in London. Uh, I'm going to go see some soccer matches, including Arsenal and Brentford on September 18th. I'm super excited to see my first English Premier League match. Um, I may attend some conferences, which I'll discuss at a later date, but uh, really excited. I've never been to London. I'm going to start there. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you want me to swing by and and say hi or, 
you know, you want me to come to your match or whatever, just grab a pint, uh, DM me at SB Radio or at Sports Business Radio. So at SB Radio on Twitter, at Sports Business Radio on Instagram. But I'm excited for this trip. And, you know, as I've said, we've been doing the show for almost 19 years now, and we've never really dug into the sport in Europe. And, um, you know, I'm going to try and do that while I'm over there and talk to some compelling people. And uh, I'm looking forward to bringing that to our audience. Yeah. And I hope you are gathering the uh, song sheets for all the soccer crowds because I want to see you dancing, painted face. I mean, shirt off. You got to get into it. (laughs) I got to tell you, I'm a little worried. Um, You know, I I know I'm going with a a group of locals that uh, some mutual friends have been kind enough to introduce me to. And I know they like to have some pints before and after. And I'm not the biggest beer drinker who ever lived. So I'm a little worried. You know, I might have to just politely have one pint before the match and and then politely have one after. But, uh, you know, I I don't think I'm going to be able to hang with the locals when it comes to uh, downing pints before and after the match. But I'm I'm super excited about that. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll bring you some great coverage. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to enjoy my conversations while I'm over there. I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go from London. I have an open-ended itinerary. So, um, you know, maybe Italy, maybe Spain, who knows, but uh, I'm going to dance around Europe a little bit and uh, meet some people. And uh, I look forward to bringing some of those conversations to our audience. The other thing I will say, and Griggs, you were here for this on, on Sunday, is I participated in the Oregon Hood to Coast this past weekend. And it was really powerful. Uh, first, you know, I was on the Brian Grant Foundation team. So Brian Grant, former NBA player, he's like a brother to me. He has Parkinson's. So uh, there were, I think, eight of the 12 members of our team have Parkinson's. And to see them gut it and grind it out, walking, you know, five to seven miles, some legs in the middle of the night, some legs uphill, um, it was so inspiring. And then you know, I did my legs and and actually did better than I thought I would do. And it was just a powerful thing. You're riding around in the van for a few days with people and you're in close quarters with them and you bond with them. And I couldn't believe how many teams were out there. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of runners and walkers and vans and campers. And it all ends in Seaside, Oregon on the Oregon coast. And you know, crossing that finish line with the team, you could see how proud they were of their achievement, which they absolutely should be. And, uh, you know, it it was just great. Griggs, I know you produced Brian Grant's uh, podcast for his foundation. So you were there as well. But uh, we were tired. It was an emotional thing over the course of two days. But, uh, you know, I look back and met some great people. And what an achievement. And, you know, like I said, I, I enjoyed my part of the walks. I was walking with cows at one point. If you want to see that, go to our Instagram page, Sports Business Radio. I posted a few pictures crossing the finish line with B. Grant and my walk with the cows and, uh, you know, wearing my pink Parkinson's shirt in support of the Brian Grant Foundation and Parkinson's awareness. But it was a really powerful two days. Yeah. A uh, little plug for Brian Grant. It's called uh, the podcast On Time with Brian Grant. It's a great little uh Parkinson's Awareness Podcast. It was some great guests, and most of them were on the uh, relay team. And yeah, it's quite an event. I mean, I was listening to some stats when, before you guys finished the the uh, across the finish line. 
eight teams started that race back when it started 40 years ago. Now it's over 1,300 teams, so it's quite an event. And then there's a big old party down at the beach. The weather was great. But uh, yeah, it was fun watching Brian Grant and the team cross because you could tell they really gutted it out and uh, gave their all. It was a really fun day. Yeah, they definitely gave their all. Congratulations to them and to all the other runners and walkers. And, you know, again, I was happy to participate. All right, coming up next, Sandy Montag, the CEO of the Montag Group. Again, his agency reps 200 of the top sportscasters, including John Madden, Jim Nance, Bob Costas, Scott Van Pelt, Mike Tirico, Mary Carrillo, Dick Vitale. I didn't mention him earlier. Uh, Sandy met Dick Vitale early in his career, just like he did with John Madden. So some great stories, great insight into the industry. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my Rain Long Sleeve Gray Heather Camo. I've got my Rain Long Sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the 7-inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered, too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. My guest is Sandy Montag. He is the CEO of the Montag Group. Their clients include John Madden, Bob Costas, Mary Carrillo, James Brown, Scott Van Pelt, Mike Tirico, and Jim Nance. You can learn more about them at themontaggroup.com. Sandy, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? All right, Brian. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. So you grow up a sports nut. You go to Syracuse University Walk me through how you get from there to becoming a sports agent. Well, trying to remember back. I mean, I, <laughs> I went to Syracuse because I wanted to be a broadcaster. I mean, Marv Albert was my idol growing up. I mean, I, I still have a cassette tape when I'm eight years old trying to be like Marv on the radio. Right? Mar Marv, for a lot of people don't realize, Marv did Rangers radio and Knicks radio at the same time for the garden. So. I go to Syracuse and I wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, I get up there and within a week or so, I realized that my secret is not a secret. There are hundreds of kids, <laughs> a lot from the tri-state area, that want to be sports broadcasters. And I just, I didn't realize the competition that existed even in the 80s for that. And so I, I quickly kind of morphed into doing other things. Um, was a football manager, 
wrote for the Daily Orange, which was a school newspaper. Uh, started doing production work where I was a stats person for the networks when they came up, uh, mainly for basketball. The first game I ever worked was with Dick Vitale uh, on a on a Monday night game um, at the Dome, and I, I loved I loved you know production. I loved doing stats work, and I really morphed into doing that. Probably when I was at school, I worked a hundred games uh, over the course of my time there, and started traveling, you know, throughout the country doing games, uh, doing stats and production work. Then when I when I got out of school, I was on the Madden Summerall team in 1985 uh, as a researcher and a stats person. And someone, John Madden was just starting um, to get popular and he traveled by train at the time. And, and someone said, hey, Madden is looking for an assistant, someone to travel with him on the train and you, you should talk to him. And I, I talked to him and you know, that uh, in November of that year, I started traveling with them by train uh, over the course of a couple of years. Uh, you know, we I did my first deal, which was getting him his first Madden cruiser, was involved in the Madden video game, which uh, came out in 1989. So, I, you know, I'd have to say that I fell into the industry. Back then, there really were no schools where you can get a degree in sports management. Today, there are over 800. So luckily I fell into it. I met John. One thing led to another. You know, I, I think though, really, I mean, my story is about just being creative, hard work, being relentless and, and just making things happen. And um, 30 some odd, 37 years later, here I am. I'm fortunate that uh, I met a lot of people in school and, and, and worked hard and had a, a good work ethic. Yeah, your relationship with John Madden, it seems like that was the thing that really got you started. What was it about him that clicked with you? And and you guys had like such a long relationship before he passed uh, recently. But what was it about the two of you hitting it off? You know, there was something about he, he was such he was such a different sort of person. He really he, he just liked talking to people. He liked relationships. He liked traveling, he liked the country. You know, his favorite book was Travels with Charlie. Um, there was just a lot of things about him that we we just had in common early on. And, you know, we, we just kind of clicked. And when you spend time with someone, you know, imagine crossing the country on Amtrak 72 hours coast to coast without a cell phone. I mean, today <laughs> you really couldn't, you would like freak out if someone said you had to do that. But we did that. And you really got to form a relationship with someone. You know, we, we played a lot of cards. We met a lot of strangers on the train. We drank a lot of Miller Lite. We just really formed a bond early on. And he taught me really, you know, he, he said it publicly. He, he, you know, he said he took me off the streets and helped create what I did, which I, I totally uh, agree with. And I, I just think that he gave me the basis of, what I am and what our company is today. It's based on relationships and it's based on getting out there and seeing people. And, you know, that, that's, he, he taught me a lot of things early on, which, which really were the basis of my career and the basis of the company that I formed. I am good friends with Tom Rinaldi and I saw the all Madden doc and thought it was one of the best docs I've seen. What were your thoughts on it? And it seems like from John's reaction when they showed him watching some of the clips that he was really touched by the documentary. Yeah. When, when Tom first brought it up uh, a year before 
it aired, you know, he said, hey, we want to do this documentary on John's life. My, my initial reaction was probably not. You know, it's really John really doesn't like those sorts of things. Um, never once wanted to talk about his legacy. Just he never really want, but but as you know, Tom's a persistent person, and he's really a great storyteller. And as he laid it out, and I talked to John about it, it, it kind of made sense at this point in John's life, really, to tell just to tell the story of of how it all happened, and more from you know, we spent a lot of time on his the broadcast side uh, of his career and stuff. You know, when John retired from coaching to to where he ended up. And look, it was really emotional. You know, Tom had said that they, every person that they asked to be interviewed in that documentary said yes. And that really doesn't happen. You're always going to get a couple of I mean, Lawrence Taylor never does interviews. You know, he said, Hey, it's for John Madden. I'm doing it. Wow. And, and I think, you know, I just think it's, it meant a lot. And, you know, as it's been publicized, John uh, passed away a few days after the documentary aired. He got to see it that weekend. And, um, you know, we exchanged some text after it aired. And he only wanted to know what people thought of it. You know, he wanted to. And, and, and obviously everyone loved it. And, you know, the really our last text exchange, um, you know, he wrote to me, you know, thank you for help making that happen. It meant a lot to me. And, and, and you know, I wrote something back which was personal and that was really our last exchange after a 40-year relationship so you know it, it was really um i think it was emotional i think it was very very well done and you know i'm just so happy that he was able not only to see it but enjoy it with his family yeah i mean so many people know john as the hall of fame football coach and hall of fame broadcaster um, but they didn't really know the person. You know, you see him on the video games, too. And I thought the documentary really humanized him. And he just came across as an everyman with whoever he worked with, like you said, uh, going from town to town on the train and, and meeting people, going to the little hole-in-the-wall diners. It just really brought that out in him. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. I mean, he, you know, in his mind, he was always the football coach, uh, never stopped being a football coach. So even as a broadcaster, he was teaching fans on television. You know, in the video game, he was teaching the younger generation about the game of football. And just I, I think part of who he was really was really traveling by ground. You know, most of us fly over this country and we have a great country and most of us just go airport to airport. And if you fly coast to coast, you just go over the entire country. He, he got to see the whole thing and got to get out on main streets and, and meet people. And, you know, it's, um, I, I think part of that is he really got to know people in this country. And when he was on television on Sundays and, and Mondays, you know, he was able to really communicate and, and know who he was talking to. And I think that's, that's really a big part in, in what you do. I think in life, I mean, you really, I, I actually traveled this summer and did a, a road trip where I got to every state in the country. And, you know, I thought of John a lot about that. Uh, you know, we, we traveled together for years throughout the country and, you know, didn't really get to um, go to national monuments or presidential libraries or state park, but, but we got to, 
see a lot of it. And, and I just think it's uh, his travels really helped him become the everyman and, and relate to uh, America the way he did. When you did the Madden video game deal with EA Sports, did you have any idea that it would become as big as it did? Not only did we not have an idea that it would become big, we never thought it would come out. You know, we <laughs> did, the deal we did with EA was in 1985-86, and the game was supposed to come out, I think, in 87-88, and it, it, it never came out. And part of it was John wanted originally they were going to have like seven on seven and john said well where you know football is 11 on 11 and trip hawkins who founded electronic arts um said well we don't have the computer memory to do 11 on 11 and and john said well i'm not putting my name on a game that's not realistic so that took them a year or two to figure that out and then it finally comes out in 89 and um neither one of us thought this would do anything you know at, at, at first it was a computer game there were there was no video game software it came out for computers and we we just didn't really think we just thought it would go away and it would it might be a teaching tool and what have you and then uh um you know it just it just at the right time it takes off so it, it's it's you know really amazing and i think it's something that over the decades it's something that john became really proud of having his name on and he was involved each year on making sure the football was as realistic as possible. And, and I think um, he'd be proud and honored that EA put him back on the cover this year to celebrate him and honor him. Um, you know, and it, it's just, as, as John said, you know, he had really three careers. He was a football coach. He was, an Emmy award-winning broadcaster, and he was a video game guy. And, and many people in our country and around the world only know him as the video game guy. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, he was such a popular pitch man too, right? I mean, it wasn't just the video game. It was Miller Lite and, you know, dozens of other commercials as well. You can argue, you know, during the 80s and, and 90s, he was as popular as any pitch person this side of Michael Jordan. Why well, I said that in the documentary, I mean, in the 80s, the two most popular, the three most popular people from a Q-score standpoint in the 80s were Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, and John Madden. And, you know, for, for a time, you know, Madden and, and Michael really, they were just, you know, they were both getting a lot of commercials during that time. I mean, Michael had obviously Nike and Gatorade and Haynes Underwear and John and Miller Lite and Ace Hardware and Tanactin and, you know, it just, it just, uh, it really was a fascinating thing. And I, I talked a lot with David Falk, who was uh, a mentor of mine in my career you know, who represented Michael. And it was just really interesting how they were both sought after um, during a similar period. Another one of your mentors, Mark McCormick, who started IMG. I mean, you know, reading up on you, you learned from some real greats. You've become a great yourself, but you got to learn from some of the masters of this business. I did, you know, and, and Mark hired me. When I had that interview with, with John, you know, Mark and Barry Frank hired me um, at IMG. He was represented by, by IMG. So they hired me to travel with them. And then I became a, a junior agent. But you know, I, I learned a lot from Mark 
Um, both Mark and Barry let me sit on their couch and listen to their phone calls. And I, I just learned a lot. You know, Barry used to say I was a sponge. You know, just you learn a lot by sitting and and just listening to phone calls and observing and all that. And, and McCormack told me something early on in my career, which I still remember today, which is you're going to learn more by listening than by talking. So many people come into my office or you're in an interview and they, they really want to tell you everything that they know. And, you know, I, I just, I just find in, in business, I just try to listen and observe, especially in negotiating. McCormack taught me that you always let the other side make the first offer because they may offer you more than you had you know, more than you thought you would and they, they wouldn't in your mind. So you want to let, let them play the cards first and you're, you're at an advantage. And just so many things that I just learned early in my career from John, from Mark and from Barry, I just still use today and try to teach to the people who work for us. Without giving away all your trade secrets, what are some other key negotiation skills? I mean, again, from McCormack, it, it's a lot of people in a negotiation, you try to kill the other, you know, you try to have a big win, right? right? And you want to, you want to get as much money as you can. And then, you know, it's, and McCormick always taught me that a good deal is good for both sides. You know, you want to get as much money as you can for your client, but you also don't want the other side. After you do the deal, you have to do business with the other side and your client, whether it's a team uh, a company that you're endorsing or a network, you have to then service that deal for the, the period uh, of the term. So you want to have a good relationship with the other side. And, and I think the best negotiators are really hard and really tough, but they're also fair. And, and that's something that I learned from McCormack. Um, you know, just it's a relationship business. You want to you want to go back to that other party that you're negotiating with at another time, so you don't want to spoil the relationship. So I, I think that's it's really important. Is tough and fair is a is a combination that you really want. Um, and I just think in negotiation you have to listen. You just have to see what the other side, where they are, what's important to them. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest things in negotiating is just at the end of it, being able to say, you know what, I got, I did the best deal I could for my client, but the other side is not unhappy with where we ended up. All right. You don't have to name the people or the outlets, but is there a time in your career where someone came to you on either side and they're like, this is something we have to have in this deal. And it was just crazy. And you're like, wait, what? I mean, there were there were so many different things, you know, that come to mind when, when, uh, <laughs> and things like that. There were times when when John Madden was a free agent at various times in his career. I remember NBC early on came to him when Jack Welch was running GE and and Dick Ebersole was running NBC, and they offered John his own locomotive, which GE makes locomotives and and you know that to me was kind of unique how uh um you know they would do something like that you know john was as we discussed you know didn't fly for the last uh 40 plus years of his life it was also a time when an airline which i own and came to him and they offered him i think it was a million dollars in the early 90s 
just to take a flight from San Francisco to Oakland. And, and, the, and the tagline is, you know, these fares are so low, I've decided to start flying again. And all he had to do was go on a 10-minute flight from San Francisco to Oakland. And, of course, he said no. I mean, John would never, um, you know, he was always true to his name and true to his brand. Um, yeah, and then I think, uh, you know, and, and the famous story of when, when John went to, um, to NBC for Sunday Night Football and Al Michaels followed him and, and he still had time left on his deal with, with Disney. And uh, one of the first things that Disney wanted to let him out of the deal was the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back, <laughs> which NBC Universal owned. And I remember giving the list of demands to Dick Ebersole of what uh, Disney had asked for. And, and he couldn't believe, number one, the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And, you know, to Dick's credit, he was able to figure that out pretty quickly that Oswald was the precursor to Mickey Mouse and somehow NBC Universal had those rights and, and the grandkids of, of uh, Walt Disney wanted them back. That's a great, great story. Client control. I've had other agents, including David Falk, on this show. And sometimes your clients come to you and they think they deserve this, that, or the other. How do you kind of keep their expectations realistic? Well, I mean, the hardest thing in client management and client representation is managing expectations. And I think uh, you're, you're really going to get into trouble if you just yes all of your clients. And I think we do a, a good job. And I've always believed that you have to be open and honest. And, you know, there are times when a client would come to me and say, hey, I want I want to, you know, I want you to get me the host of the Today Show. And there's no way that that person is going to get a job like that. And you really, there've been a lot of difficult conversations where you say, no, you know, you're not, we don't believe you'll be able to get that. And it's just not, that's not realistic. And we've, it's hard to represent, so represent someone if you're not on the same page and if you don't have the same beliefs and sets of goals and expectations. And I think, you know, it's really important to have that relationship with the client where you can tell them the truth. And I think my clients want the truth from me uh, and they don't they don't want to be BS and they don't want, you know, they don't want their ego stroke. They want to know if they're not doing a good job at something or if they're, you know, if they think they may be up for a job that may come open and they're not really going to be on the list. Instead of saying, yeah, we'll try, you never know, no, you know, you're not going to get it, you know. So I, I think it's it's really important to, to have that relationship where you can um, not be intimidated and you can have, you just can have an open, honest dialogue with your clients as it relates to expectations. The Montag Group was acquired by Wasserman. How has that changed your business? Because, Sandy, I see so many athletes now who I've interviewed on this show that during their career, they're looking to post-career now. It used to be you looked at your career in the last year of your career, you'd think about post-career. Now they're thinking about it earlier. I would imagine that with Wasserman's client base of athletes and coaches, maybe you're able to work with them and help prepare them for post-career. Is that kind of what's happening? It is. You know, I was at IMG for 30 years, decided to start my own uh, in 
2014-15. And then Casey Wasserman has been a friend of mine throughout my career and is someone that I've looked up to. And, you know, he's always kept in touch with me and has always broached the idea of me working there or, and then when I started the company, you know, acquiring the company. And I, during COVID, we had some discussions and it just, it just began to make sense that, um, you know, we, we have many, many clients who are former athletes, coaches, broadcasters, but we didn't really have the access to current athletes. And the Wasserman group, um, you know, really has thousands of, of athletes, really, that we can help uh, transform them to their post-career. And it's something, really, that Wasserman did not have, and it was kind of a hold for us with current athletes. So it, it kind of was a win-win for both of us. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just so far, it's been eight months into it. And I really think that it's been, it's been great. You know, I, I, I just think we we're working well together. I think post-career is something that we're trying to build out even greater and trying to make larger, you know, that, that whole area, um, in the industry. And I think whether it's, people getting into coaching or front office or writing books or getting on the speaker's circuit or broadcasting. It's just something that we are trying to take to the next level with Wasserman. Well, and it looks like, I mean, Tony Romo, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, these salaries are getting bigger and bigger by the year. So it seems like the demand for analysts and athletes post-career is higher than it's ever been. It is, and I and I think it it you know, salaries really are crazy. I mean, it, it's uh, I remember talking to John before he passed away, and you know, imagine he retired fifteen years ago. But Im- imagine you know what he would command in a marketplace like like this. No kidding. I think though, if you if you look at just the the amount of money though in media, and you have Amazon and Apple and Netflix, and you know, we have the season you know, Thursday night football and streaming exclusively for the first time. So I, I think the amount of money that networks are paying for live rights, especially in the NFL, you know, which, which their new media deals, they're getting close to $10 billion a year from the combined network. So the amount of money that is going into media is, is finally really um, transcending into what a broadcasters can get. And I think networks are realizing that, you know, people are tuning into um, games and you really, you really want people, you know, who you, who you can relate to. And, and um, it's just interesting in the last several years where salaries have gone. Just a couple minutes left. I am watching the Manning cast, the K-Rod cast. We're seeing these alternative broadcasts. Is that the way of the future, Sandy? Are we going to see more of those? You know, I, I think it's probably a pretty good trend that, you know, that that's it's happening. I think especially with the younger generation, the uh, and, and our smartphones have probably created it. But your attention span really is not what it used to be. You know, when growing up, I remember going to a baseball game with my father, even my mother. And you'd sit there for three hours and watch a baseball game. You didn't have a smartphone in your hand. Right. <laughs> and you were really weren't doing anything. You were just watching a baseball game and eating peanuts. But today, you know, if, if you and I noticed it with my kids when they're watching television, they were multitasking at the same time. 
And then I don't, I don't know how you could really listen to something, watch something, and also text your friends and check another. I, it, it's just amazing. So I, I just think with people's attention spans today, it, the alternative broadcast and what the Manning cast have started is really a pretty interesting way um, to, to, to look at games. And I, I think it was interesting that ESPN would have two different broadcasts for the same game and you'd think okay would one cannibalize the other but the way they looked at it if you can have uh the total audience if that can grow between espn and espn2 on monday night football for the same game then it's a win for disney and i i think it's it it, it should be and probably will be uh, a wave of, of the future more and more entities like yours are developing original content. I watched The Last Dance. I just watched The Captain. They call me magic. That's for the people with the long attention spans because those are seven or eight episodes. Um, are we going to see more of those too? It seems like after The Last Dance, we've seen this trend where some of these iconic athletes and even, again, someone like John Madden with the All Madden doc, we, we are learning about their lives and they've gathered all of this footage over the course of their career. Is that something we might see more of? I, th- I think so. I mean, I we've done uh, a bunch of documentaries since we started the company. You know, we did uh, the Amazon series following the University of Michigan, you know, the first college team to do the All or Nothing series. And we did a documentary with Bob Knight on his undefeated season, you know, in the Madden doc and a documentary on 9-11 and how baseball helped heal New York City. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a great I, one. I, I I like the long form. I like the all access. Um, I, I've always felt that, you know, there when I traveled with John or when I worked production, you got a credential and it said all access on it. And I used to walk around stadiums. I remember walking around Lambeau Field being able to go anywhere I wanted to go. And I, I just was fascinated by all access and the things that you see behind the scenes in sports. And so I, I hope, I hope while the trends may be going to alternative broadcasts and things like that, I, I hope the long form storytelling stays uh, where we're going to be doing another documentary, which we'll announce in the next month or so with Turner uh, for NBA all-star. And, and I, I just, I, I like the, the long form, the storytelling and the history of sports, and hopefully that sticks around. All right. We started off this conversation talking about how you went to Syracuse University. I think the Newhouse School is, is one of the best in the country. USC is really good. I went to Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles, and it was great for me. If you're a student and you're listening to this right now and you want to get into this industry, because I get calls all the time, I can only imagine how many you get from students wanting to break into the industry. And as you said, it's very different today breaking in than it was, you know, when you were riding the train with John Madden. What's your advice to students today who want to get into sports casting? I don't think it matters what school you go to. Now, look, I mean, I'm on the board of sports management at Syracuse and Michigan and NYU. And so I, I think I, so I'm partial to several schools, but I really don't think it matters what school you go to to get in the industry. What's more important is what you do while you're there and A, how hard you work, but B, also, I call it the below the line on the resume. What experiences you have, what internships you have. You know, you have to look at, you can't look at school as sure you want to have a good time and you want to get a great education, but you also have to look at it 
as the precursor to your career. So the competition is sitting next to you in class. What are you going to do while you're there to be better than your competition? And that's really working during school, doing as many internships as you can, getting real life experience, whether it's in the summer or while you're at school working for the local radio station, newspaper, athletic department, uh, whatever it is, get experience as early as you can and form relationships. And it's so it doesn't really matter what school you are during um, during that time, but you know it matters when you come out how much better you are than the person person sitting next to you. Sandy Montag, the CEO of the Montag Group, follow them online at themontaggroup.com. Sandy, I've wanted to have you on for a long time. You are a legend in this industry. You know, I've interviewed many of your clients on this show, and I just think you do a tremendous job. Thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Well, use the word legend loosely, Brian, but I appreciate uh, you saying that and enjoy being with you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment, just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season. No waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy Download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.